0: We drama watchers are a vociferous bunch. We're opinionated, we're passionate, we rarely hold back on what we think about the dramas that consume such a large portion of our lives. For everything that we don't agree on and those that we do, all of us, every single a drama watcher has the exact same thing in common. What is that, you ask? We all have a drop list. And thanks to Araksarang and your listenership, I finally know exactly what to do with mine. Because of your generous support i can start tackling the dropped dramas that i have accumulated over the years one episode at a time welcome i am tia and this is iraq i am so glad that you are here you guys know that i love it when we can visit because i can go to a country where I love everything pretty much about the culture and the language. I am an aspiring polyglot. This language is one of a few that are at the top of my list of languages where I know a lot about it and speak it. But I'm not quite at the level where I'm comfortable saying, I am officially a polyglot. When that day comes, I am going to have a celebration on this podcast. When will I know that I can just call myself a polyglot? I'm not sure, but I think that the beauty of all of that is that when it clicks, the light bulb turns on and it turns on, and who knows? Perhaps I don't have to have fluency in five to ten languages before that I'm a polyglot with fluency in two to three. Who knows? But the point of this episode is to reacclimate myself with a drama that I dropped last year sometime or whatever year it was that it came out, you guys, and that is King Eternal Now, if you're not new to this podcast, you have heard me say a trillion times that i think that dramas, especially in Hollywood, uh, have a curse attached to them. What is that curse? I cannot watch them in real time. Today I started to kind, of, finally kind of come to some clarity about why that is. And one facet of that clarity is that I think that modern or real time, current day dramas are so relevant that and by relevant i just mean they're they're so real time that it's hard for me to appreciate them i can't see it for what it is because it's too close to current date in life or something when time gets between me and that drama i can start to appreciate it for what for appreciation's sake When I don't have any time between that drama, I cannot appreciate it. Now, that explains nothing about why real-time dramas are actually good to me, why some of them are good. But as those theories develop, perhaps I will bring them to you. And even better than all of that, perhaps you can understand where I'm coming from and start to make some sense of your watching patterns as well. I left off on King Eternal Monarch, in episode 4. So, today's episode is obviously going to be a recap of episode 5. This drama stars Imino. You know, oh my gosh. Number one, if you have not been here for any amount of time, I don't even say that. If you found this podcast, number one, thank you. I wish you could tell me how you found it. You can if you email me. That email will be in the show description. Nevertheless, I love Emino a lot. And I stopped trying to rank these people a long time ago, except that the number one is number one for a reason. And when we get to him, my gosh, guys, I'm going to have to do that whole episode in Korean because I love him that much, okay? So, but Emino, is the G. He's just a G. He is a G. Not like Ken Porsche G, but you know, Korean G. So it stars him, wand You know what? I'm gonna i I'm gonna say this before I even go into this because it's a good and a bad thing, and I'm not sure which one it falls more on the side of, but Uthuan is nobody's uh, supportive cast I know he's probably titled as a main cast and it looks like he yes he has a main role but you can tell I mean come on when you stand next to Emi No baby you are the support because Emi No is taller than everybody number one but two Emi No's presence is such that you cannot be the leader with him ain't no co-leader baby it's either him or not him you know and it is obviously him I just feel like you know what um I need you to put emino and utuwana on the same level baby and you know I know this drama was depicted the way it was and the characters were written the way they were written for a reason I'm not haranguing them for that I just feel like when I see if I see utuwana and Emino on the screen together you know I just you know I don't know it's almost like in the American stratosphere, it's like putting, you know, um, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in the same movie, which I know happened. I believe it was Heat. But it's like, who the hell do I look at? You know, who who am I supposed to be in love with? Because if you ask me, I love both of them equally. You know, when you watch a, a romance, you as the viewer are going to swoon, OK, and when you have those two male leads or the second male lead, you feel like you're supposed to swoon less. But uh, uh-uh, because Uduwan is my dude, he is my. Like I said, I cannot rank these people anymore because I don't like feeling tempted to put Uduwana anywhere underneath Imino, you know, and I just don't like this confliction. So maybe that's why they did that to conflict me. So good job. so our next lead is Kim Gunn now we have other leads in this y'all and they some G's and they good and they do a fantastic job but you guys know how I am if I get to where I have to start naming off D E F and G that gets lost in the sauce and I don't want to confuse myself let alone you guys so We're going to go with those three so that you know who the stars are. You've probably already watched this, but if you had to drop it like I did, you know, you at least want to know who the main players are. So we're in episode five. And just for a quick synopsis for those who haven't seen it, And those who just like to tune in to listen to me, thank you for tuning in. I want to caution those who are new here who have listened to the, you know, the most recent episodes and are not bothering with my previous episodes earlier in the catalog. I'm here to tell you that even though some titles or some thumbnails are not interesting enough to make you listen, I have always found that Every time I slept on a content creator and I was like, mm, I'm not going to listen to that, but I will listen to this. Every one that I skipped became something that I would have regretted not listening to. And am I trying to get you into listening to my previous episodes? Yes. So stop, go listen to them and come back. <laughs> okay. Anyway, not guilting you, but I love doing this. And if you love listening to me, why sell yourself short? Go get everything. Be selfish. I love that. Be selfish when you're here at Saddam. and absolutely squeeze every drop that you can out of me. King Eternal Monarch is about a parallel universe. Okay? Simplistically, that's what it is, all right? And as we know with parallel plots, there's usually always an altar, meaning It's a Ardaxadong here, and then it's a Ardaxadong over there in the kingdom of Korea, which is the parallel to the Republic of Korea. Our female lead, which I'm just going to call her female lead because y'all know how I do it. She is a um, police officer and namely a detective. And so she has her colleagues that she works with. And you know that she's also got these altars that are in the other world. Except her situation is a little bit different because she does not have an altar over there in the kingdom of Korea. And the reason she doesn't have an altar is because something happened to it, y'all. They being real mysterious with that. The king, Imino, he has her police officer or detective's ID and this is what is the linchpin and their let's say connection because he quote-unquote knows her before he ever has an opportunity to cross paths with her altar so we're up to episode five and in episode five she is on horseback and she is crossing over to the kingdom of Korea how do they cross over from one dimension to the next dimension? Well, even though gets on this white steed and he's in the forest with, you know, the skinny trees with no leaves and they're real tall. And he crosses over this barrier, as it were, simplistically. Uduan is his first in command. He is the, you know, manager over all the other security guards. He's his right hand man. Uduan is just as... gorgeous as ever, okay? And he plays this role so well. You know what? Uduwana plays that dark, mean, untrusting, you know, uh, skeptical character so well that his altar is something to get used to not in a bad way, but he does it so well that I don't know how to take it. But episode five does not feature his alter, so I won't go into him quite as much. Except to say that when I say alter, he is the polar opposite of what Uduwan is as his Republic of Korea person. He is just, yes in republic excuse me in kingdom of korea but in republic of korea he's like yes but it's like yes if you don't do a whole lot of just don't talk a lot but look a lot just 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 look at me and we everything will be all right she has crossed over into his kingdom and she is what we would be skeptical you're crossing into this parallel society you don't believe it but they're let's say still in the forest phase and she rolls up on Utuwanda and she's talking to him and she asks him for his gun and he's looking at the king like who is Imino and he's looking at him like does this bitch know she is trying to get killed and the king is like it's okay you got my permission And as any of you all know who watch historical Korean dramas, the king's word is the first, the last, the middle, the second, the fourth, all that. You are going to do what he said or die. One of the two. He gives her his gun and she remarks about the type of gun it is and she's trying to make sense of everything. And lo and behold, she ends up pulling the gun on Uthuan and makes it seem as though she's going to test this theory out because as many science fiction goes, you know, if something isn't real, I could just like shoot my way back to reality, you know, I could kill myself back to reality. And the king is like, "Look, girl, now I love you or what have you, but don't kill my damn first in command. You making this you making it hard for me to keep loving you while you trying to kill your way back to you know, some uh reality so she lowers the gun and Uduwan is already irritated with her because he's the second in command his job is to be angry at all times because apparently you can't do this job and be nice because you got to put your life on the line for the king and I guess that will put me in a bad mood at all times too to know that every day I have to you know uh tamper with the idea of dying because if somebody tries to kill the king they had to kill me first you know that now that would piss me off at all times the king's name is ikon and ikon is um something that's difficult for our Teul is our female lead's name and i guess i just had to say that because i just likes being korean y'all know how i like speaking korean but anyway she is struggling with him because, you know, she doesn't have the level of respect for him. She should have because the way that he has presented himself to her in her reality. he's He's been the king. He's been honest. He's told her everything that he possibly can to try to win her understanding. But she's still communicating to him as if he's just a regular Guy, she's not even giving him yo's, okay, baby. It's not even yo territory, she's in a territory. And when you are not speaking in the correct form of honorific speech in Korean, you are insulting people, you know. And even though is not insulted because he wants to be intimate with her, and anything that projects his position closer to her as a lover, he'll take. You know, so he takes some bad Korean from her in order to be able to just stay in her graces. Quantum mechanics is the reason for this parallel um, crossing, as it were. Even though calls himself an amateur mathematician, even though when you go into the palace... The, let's say the landing of his palace, the second landing, is a chalkboard that surfaces the entire, let's just say, middle level of the wall. And there's nothing but fucking Einstein-level math equations up there. At one point in this episode, he goes to a college, obviously, in the Kingdom of Korea, and he gives some kind of a talk to a, a, an auditorium full of students. And he's giving them little tips and he's encouraging them. The king. And he says something like, as an amateur mathematician, I'm like, amateur mathematicians write um, stories worth of math problems all over the damn palace? You are not an amateur mathematician. You are a fucking genius. A savant, if you ask me, because a lot of these um, quantum mechanic realities he has figured out via these equations, right? So where Teul is struggling to come to terms with the fact that this whole scenario even exists and how she fits in and how he fits in and everybody, everybody's altar that she's witnessing. Um, the king had zero problem. He was a believer before he went. In this day and age, he will be considered considered a tinfoil hatter. You know, you know people who believe in UFOs or what have you. So if a UFO actually came to the earth, those are gonna be the most ready people on earth because they are already believers before it happens. This is how the king was. He had already kind of figured that this eventuality would happen before the shit even happened. So when he when he crossed over the barrier from kingdom to republic He had no problems accepting what was going on. He had his own personal way of communicating, etc. But when it came to nobody bowing down to him and don't nobody believe him and he's got to pull diamond buttons off his coat to pay for shit. It did not bother him that those things were his new form of life because he knew that The world that he was in was not his own. Teol is very much so struggling with that. She wants to be able to communicate with Uthuan as if he is still her under-detective. In the Republic, he's a detective with her, but he is very much so her Hubei. And she treats him as such. Even in this altered reality where he is not her Hubei. He will not be told what to do by her ass anyway, okay? He has got some rank and he does not appreciate her sneering at him and talking to him like he is underneath her. One facet that I find very interesting about Korean society is that we all kind of know the dynamic between seniors and those who are juniors. Even if you're about a year older, you still still have the ability to stake claim to seniority over that person, and you have a manufactured level of respect because you're older. Yet, if you are younger, but you entered into whatever profession you're doing prior to that older person, that older person still has to pay deference to you. I find that very interesting. And those interactions are extremely interesting to dissect and to study because a lot of times a Hubei is younger than their elder, especially when it comes to like an entertainment type of a realm. And the way that those people interact, it's like the Hubei accepts a respect that they are extremely uncomfortable with accepting from their senior in age so hopefully I didn't confuse you too much but I just find that very interesting the languages that I study as I am trying to gain my polyglot credentials I goes in into the culture and I enjoy all aspects of a different language. So Uthawana, he is very skeptical. He does not trust her. His job is not to trust people. His job is to keep people away from the king because everything, every person is a threat to the king. And if anything happens to the king, whether it's a damn mosquito bite or a damn bullet hole, Uthawana has a position That he takes so seriously that anything that goes wrong in the king's life, at one point or another, swivels down to being Uduan's fault. He takes his job as seriously as Tehul takes her job as a cop in the Republic. And they butt heads at every turn because, for all intents and purposes, they are the same in their positions of work. He is not her underling. He is skilled. He is not, and I don't want to go into who he is in the Republic, but I'll just say he's so different from the Uthuan in the Republic that she she struggles with giving him the respect that she should. And it shouldn't take her that long to give him that respect only because he does not carry himself like someone who will hesitate to blow your fucking head off if you do something wrong head lady no is he mean those i think it's his granny y'all if it's not his granny she gonna be his granny because she old enough to be his granny her job is just to be a constant reminder to the audience, how royal the king is. Now she goes out of her way to share that with other folks too, but she is what I would consider a living, breathing, custom keeper. She is the person who will never allow you to forget a custom. And she is going to require that you speak to the king correctly. You walk in here the right way. You go to your room and you, you know, take your meal a certain way and you dress a certain way and you speak to the king, to me, to other folks a certain way. She is a custom keeper and she does it with a lot of spunk and a lot of attitude and a lot of um, slightly irritable, you know, uh, personality all along away one scene that stuck out to me and again i don't consider myself a professional polyglot as in i am not doing this for work or anything this is just my personal interest but um there was one scene where imino goes to a carnival type store where he has to you know where you get the stuffed animals if you uh win playing a specific game and this is a shooting game and the store owner says you know if you've already been cons- you know if you've already gone to the military and done your time you won't have any problems winning this teddy bear for your sweetheart but if you haven't you know I don't know what to tell you when Amy says in so many words he says I'll take your and the subtitle said I only need seven and I thought to myself, now, I don't know everything about Korea, but I do know that seven is ilgo. And I know that ten is yol. But the subtitle said seven. So I thought, wow, they got that wrong. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because when you're learning a language, one of the most gratifying, one aspect of gratification that can be had is when you find that a translation is wrong. It makes you feel good because it means you're listening well and you're verifying that what you're hearing is what you're seeing. And no translation is a blow by blow translation because there are words and idioms and different things in English that aren't in Korean and vice versa. But it's always nice when it's got to be a simple mistake maybe for me. But <laughs> I always am just tickled when I find a mistake because I think to myself, wow, that isn't right and it would make, it would be a big deal for me to be accurate on something like that. Nevertheless, Yumi no comes to her room the night that he crosses her over because she's going to stay in the palace and you know that Granny No is like, no, she's got the perfect name because she has a face that wants, that's going to say no to everything you say, king or not, her answer is no. But she has her room and she has her clothing, and you know, uh, the king is separated from her because Granny. knows her job is to make sure that the king stays miserable for the rest of his life. And he ends up finding the room and he comes in and he brings beer as a peace off- peace offering, and she drinks it. And he sits next to her on the floor, which is not what a king does, as you already know. Um, but he's so eager to just remove the bullshit i love that about his character on this he might be a king but he's not wanting to be you know um treated like he is something special it's like he knows he is you know he has no choice he was born into that But it's like the king wants people to like him because they like him, you know. And because he's so in love and enamored with this girl, sitting on the floor amuses him because all he wants is to be with her. He leans over and lays his head on her shoulder. A sign of just abject affection that even in the Republic... For a guy with iminos aura just would not probably happen as severely as is happening. Teol does not know how to take this. Her character is very cold. Literally and figuratively, number one, she doesn't know how to accept affection. I don't give a damn about her past, y'all. We're going to get into some of that. But I'm just saying, she she has no... Her feminine wiles are buried underneath a thick wall of cold, angry indifference. And that's probably why I dropped this drama the first time. I know that she was watching her execute this character bothered me. And I guess being past episodes one through four where they were trying to establish how tough and strong she is, is helping me to not have to relive the feelings that I had about her. She hits the nail on the head and exposes the king and says, You've never done this before. And he's like, what? And she's like, you haven't never dated a female human being before, have you? <laughs> and even though it's so insulted by this, you know, he's he it's cute. He's not insulted where he's angry. But he's so insulted at being outed by her correctly. that he calls her bluff and says, well, should I have done this? And he pulls her in and he gives her one of those even though kisses, which although it was a, although it was one of those fifties, we're going to just kind of stick our lips together and not move for like 10 seconds. It was still good because Amy did it. He's got that ratio nose, lip, Adam's apple. I gotta I have got to trademark that y'all because there is something about that ratio that emo has in spades and all of the good ones do. <sighs> so emino gives her a kiss that doesn't even bother her. I would be like the beer in the can that she was drinking. I would be a complete you wouldn't even have anything to touch anymore. Cause the floor would just be liquids next to her. But, you know, she doesn't know how to take this kiss, but her breath is taken away because, I mean, when Amy no kisses you, um, how do you pretend like you don't like that? She had to like that in real life, baby. I could I could see that in real life. Okay? I don't give a damn who she dating in real life. She liked that kiss. How do I know? Because I liked it from over here. I am thousands. No, nah, but okay, So Anyway, she liked it. <laughs> this is so fun going over with you guys I'm glad I finally have an outlet for this and I can finally watch some of my dropped dramas if I were you I don't know how to tell you to get that you know fulfilled for you but you know I don't know maybe we can work something out if you contact idoxadong.official at gmail.com I don't know. Maybe we maybe we can brainstorm together to help you get your dropped dramas watched too. Because I don't know about you, but unlike other things that I drop, I never drop a drama for good. What does that mean? That means that like, unless it is just guys, I'm not sure. I always end up watching everything. That's why we are all in this together, guys. Because I never, kind of never watch a drama again. I always go back in bits and pieces Until I, what? Finish it. Idoxodonga has given me such a unique opportunity because I can finally finish these dramas and share them with you and you can get something too. Something to clean the house to. Something to drive to work with. Something to fill in those empty spaces between content creators that you actually want to listen to. You're able to come to this podcast and get your fix. As in every drama, whether it's a romantic drama or not, you have to have a villain. And there are a couple of villains in this one. This villain is the cool one, though, so I'll touch on him first. He is the alter who understands the mission. He understands what his job is. He is one of the rare people in the kingdom of Korea who understands, who knows that this alternate parallel universe exists. As such, he has become an entrepreneur, baby. Yes, he has made it his business to connect people to their altars. Nine times out of 10, the altars back over in the Republic are doing better than the altars over in the kingdom. And now that I'm elucidating this point, it makes perfect sense why he can say something like, nobody has ever refused my offer to go over to the Republic. And the reason for that is although the Republic is doing so well, so good, in fact, it is the fourth country when it comes to GDP. It's in fourth place because the king literally owns quadrillions of minerals, which is what they sell to the rest of the world and keeps them on the top like this. And the king owns it. Yes. So Taylor girl, you don't know how to take that kiss. How about this man has quadrillions? And they literally said that or they translated that in the drama that he's the owner. You know, she was talking to a girl at the stoplight remember she's in the alternate reality so she all weird and shit and the girl's like um they teach this in school yes our country is number four in gdp she's like well, well how the hell do we do that and she's like well it's minerals and this debt mineral and this one and this one and this one and then she stops and she's like baby are you from somewhere else because you look korean south korean but your ass is you know now in the kingdom it's north and south combined, I'm sure. But you know what I'm saying. She's like, baby, you looking just like me. What the hell? And she's like, yeah, you could say that. And So she's like, yeah, well, um, there are these mountains where all those minerals I just told you are. It's like quadrillions and quadrillions of them. Well, you know, the monarch owns them. I mean, literally, the king owns all of it. And so... You know, Taylor, after having been kissed last night by him, is rubbing her lips like, oh, my fucking God. I just got kissed with a man. I just got kissed by the richest man on earth, you know. And um, I liked it, even though I pretended like I didn't. um, This is making me like it more. And why wouldn't it? (laughs) This altar guy knows his mission and he goes in and he finds these people. And he typically probably goes after prominence because their life over in the Republic of Korea is so different from their life in the kingdom. Because even though the country is doing as well as I just described, over in the Republic, they're doing better. Why? Because when you get through talking with all this shit that they got over in, because the the kingdom, it's not back over there in the Chosen era, you know, it, they not back there. It is still, two, it is 2019 in the kingdom's era. So they got cell phones and shit, like everything that's a Korea now, they still got all that over there, okay? It's just an alternate reality. It's just a parallel universe. So because he understands that no matter what you do in Korean society, you can never outdo the king and you still got to bow and all this shit. You, you know, when you're doing bad in a kingdom, Your ass is doing bad. Like, you're doing worse than you would be doing over in the Republic. So he propositions this pregnant woman who's heavily pregnant. And he's like, one day finds her trying to pull a fucking cart up some damn steps. Y'all know that one stairway in Korea that's like a thousand steps? Why do all people who are broke live on this street, baby? I'd be like, you know what? I think I'd rather live on the street than have to climb up a thousand steps to get to my apartment every day with groceries and shit. So anyway... She climbing up there. She about a hundred months pregnant. And he like, you need some help. And She's like, I don't need no help. And he's like, girl, get your ass up here and talk to me. And she does. And they sit across from the table and he's menacing and he's dark because he knows shit. And he's out for himself. And he wants to, He he's playing chess. He playing chess, baby, in both worlds. And he tells her, look. Nobody I have ever propositioned with this chance has ever denied me. And he puts pictures of herself in the Republic on the Lazy Susan, no, in the kingdom, on the Lazy Susan and swivels it around to her for her to have a view of herself, 10 months pregnant, but she's rich, sitting around a bunch of women, looking rich, talking, having lunch, and living a life, you know, a Che Ball's wife life, you know, the stereotypical I'm rich and I am important. And then he contrasts that by revealing to her pictures of illegal gambling and all the old jank, dark, scummy things that she has to do to get by in this world. And it's illegal to gamble over there and therefore you can't be doing that. And, you know, she lives a very struggle life and as she's propositioned for this, it becomes more and more apparent that this is somebody she probably should listen to. But she's too hesitant because it's hard to wrap your mind around that. I'll give that to Taylor. I understand how she struggles so much with it. But the pregnant lady does not have to be convinced for too long. Because when he gets up after she's not answering quick enough... She gets on her knees and grovels and says, wait a minute, take me with you. Please help me. She's like, you know what, fuck this. Life is so hard that even if you lying, I need to see the lie with my own eyes, baby. So she's like, give me something to get in contact with you. And he drops a burner phone at her and says, I will call you when I'm ready. And she does. She goes back over to the other land, the parallel. She goes over to the altar side. And she lives a charmed life where she is the sister-in-law, I think, of the prime minister of the kingdom of Korea, which is the second villain I'm going to get to right now. She is not a pleasant one because she is the prime minister to the king and she is mitten with him and through her intellectual prowess and her abilities mentally she thinks that she should be an automatic shoe in as his queen she wants to be with him and cannot understand why he doesn't want her even though she has she checks off every box when it comes to beauty fashion prestige position influence power everything you can name she is the perfect criterion to be she is fit to be the queen but he don't want her he wants tail there is a, another character who is also a detective and he's a bit of a struggle detective. He's you can tell he got some internal issues and all that kind of stuff. He has got nightmares. Got a psychiatrist that he was seeing, but stopped seeing her and stopped taking his meds. And you can tell he's conflicted. And he's a solid character, but his story they didn't go too deep into this episode. And I look forward to filling myself back in on him because he's a solid character and he's just a regular guy. And I'm not, I'm not mistaken. He is a love interest of Teul, and I would like to see more of that, but I won't spoil his story now, especially since I have to reacquaint myself with this drama. Teul, when she is at the palace, she is warned by Lady No, Hey, don't tell nobody you, you know, was here last night because we don't never have guests, okay? And you hear whatever, but don't get comfortable either with this or the king, because no, my name is literally no. So that's the answer to everything that you want to ask and everything that you want to do. So she's all too happy to let her leave the next day in the hopes that she never comes back. Tayul goes around town. And again, Tayul, I understand that she wants to sell the incredulousness to the very brink of Of what's reasonable because she just can't believe what's going on around her she goes to the police department and she finds some of her son and she greets them on the parking lot and like many people do when they meet somebody who's familiar but they can't put their finger on it they're intrigued by her she seems a little like she's you know crazy but she's pleasant enough that she's more intriguing than she is alarming and they're like "Uh uh-uh baby we don't know our names over in the republic so no we don't know us but we about to go get something to eat so see you later and you know she bows to them and they're like oh she's weird you know and they turn around again because one of the the younger cop he really recognizes her he really feels like he has got familiarity with her but you know He can't put his finger on it because he's in a parallel universe. So she reminisces and she does all of these things until she finally goes to the address, the last known address for her mother, who is not alive in the Republic. And she's looking for her. Her mom died when she was extremely young. But she figures that because she is finding altars of people in, you know, the Republic that aren't around anymore or something like that, she figures maybe the mom You know, she figures since she is not around in the kingdom, because Tayula is the only one that does not have an altar. Something happened to her. I have no idea what it is, but um, her mom isn't around in the Republic. So she figures, okay, well, if my mom is not where I'm from, maybe she's still here she does not find her at the last known address and she's melancholy and she's sad about this and she reveals as much to the king when he has to swoop in with his helicopter to come and pick her up yes because on her quest to go around Korea looking for folks she ends up taking a train all the way to Busan looking for her mom but didn't take into account that she broke and didn't have enough to get back on the train to get back to Seoul so she goes to, well, it was confusing to me. It seemed like she was in Pusan, but the king said, we're going to so, to, pick, to pick her up. And But then when he gets there, he says, well, how, why did you come all the way to Pusan? So, look, guys, I don't know. All I know is he came to pick her up. <laughs> and he's like, well, why did you tell me that this is what you were coming to do? Because I would have, you know, I would have took you. You my damn girlfriend or something. So she was like, yeah, I just, you know figured why not give it a shot i gave it a shot you know it didn't happen and all of that and so imino tries to cut in on the conversation but the king kind of you know cuts him off at first because hey he is talking to his boo and you know i ain't got time for that. but he has to cut in because and he has no choice because every time the prime minister her name is prime minister ku every time he comes swoops into town this bitch has a damn GPS on him or something because every time he comes to town, she swoops up with her 10 limos and cars and all tinted out windows and all these damn vehicles show up and swoop down. And she gets out the car and strides toward the king. And she like, hey, what's up? I saw you came into town, but I did not see you come into town with this strange woman. And she holding her hand out to shake the hand, the prime minister is. And Tayul, in a move that I'm glad she made and is endearing me to her in this moment, she is not taking her hand. She is leaving her hanging because she's looking at her like, Bitch, I don't shake hands and I like that part of it because I don't like PM cool. And that is where episode five ends. I look so forward to picking up and filling you in on episode six. So that I can finish the King Eternal Monarch I am enjoying it this time More than I did in episode 4 Because I walked away from it And wasn't planning on coming back anytime soon But thanks to you, I can Again, your listenership is what this is all about Idak Sadang means that I love, love, love dramas And I love, love, love sharing them with you So I'll leave it there and talk to you in the next drama.